Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Before we get started today, we had some thoughts that we needed to get out there on the current situation with J.K. Rowling and the whole Harry Potter fandom. In any way that you choose to cope with J.K. Rowling's transphobic comments and statements is completely understandable. Some people are choosing to not engage in any Harry Potter related activities and if that is what feels right to you that is completely fine and completely understandable. If you choose to continue to read Harry Potter books or listening to this podcast, but not engaging or following J.K. Rowling or buying any Harry Potter related products, that's fine too. Only you get to decide how you cope with the state of current events. We do not support J.K. Rowling's statements on transphobia. We stand with our trans friends. We support the LGBTQIA community and we firmly oppose J.K. Rowling's transphobic views yes most definitely we just want you to know that if you're out there we see you we hear you and we also know that each and every one of us is magical in our own way and who you are being authentic and genuine and honest with who you are that is what makes you magical more than anything else and if there is a sense of your identity that feels right for you then that is who you are and nobody else can take that away from you nobody can shame you into being different for harry his muggle family was trying to shame him into being a muggle but that is not who harry is harry is a wizard and just like harry you are magical whichever gender identity you are whether it matches the sex that you were assigned at birth or not 
you are magical. Whatever your sexual orientation is, whatever your background is, whatever your lifestyle is, you are magical in being exactly who you are. Very beautifully said. Without further ado, we're going to start this episode of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 4, The Leaky Cauldron. So it took days for Harry to get used to this strange newfound freedom he had. He could wake up whenever he wanted, he can eat whenever he wanted, he can go wherever he wanted. Can you discuss the nature of Harry's liberation and possibly correlate it to something or someone in our world? Gosh, I mean, I imagine there's so many examples like it. I remember when my family and I first moved to United States, we came to United States as refugees. First of all, back in Ukraine, we were very limited on the food choices that we had. And so being able to have any kind of food we wanted was so different and so incredible. But also being able to celebrate any holidays we wanted whenever we wanted was so liberating. And so I think that for Harry, having that freedom was so incredible. The huge difference that we see is the difference between living in an oppressive environment where Harry had to literally hide in the closet, hiding who he was, versus now being magic with his magical identity in the open. I think this is the case for so many individuals, whether they're trans, whether they're gay or lesbian, or whether they're exploring a new culture or a different activity. I know so many people that when they have lived in some kind of an oppressive environment, such as living with not understanding family members, for example, have felt like they had to almost do magic under a nightlight. Whereas when they're able to move out or be around like-minded folks in a supportive environment, that freedom, that sense of freedom for the first time, it's incredible. Yes. It is so wonderful to see how naturally he fits into this magical world as opposed to the muggle one he was brought up in. Just the freedom of being able to be who he is, just as he is, and not have to hide or lie about it. During one of his daily outings to Diagon Alley, Harry happens upon a large crowd gathered in his favorite shop, Quality Quidditch Supplies. When he squeezes through the excited crowd, he sees an amazing new model of broom called the Firebolt. This got me thinking about brooms and how they become associated with witches and the magic of flight. Since discussing my curiosity with the number 13 on the last episode, I have decided to devote a section of this podcast specifically for exploring interesting facts and origins that I call cultural curiosities. Now, mind you, I feel that after researching this one, I just wanted to warn you that it is a little bit interesting. I don't know how to racy? say it is a little racy and it's going to blow your mind a little bit. So please be warned. The image of a witch flying around on her broomstick is very iconic, especially near Halloween. But where did this legend originate from? As it turns out, the broomstick might have been a way to get high on hallucinogenics. The origins of the myth come from the late Middle Ages, when suspected witchcraft was met with being burned at the stake. Medieval times, if you're not familiar, was not a great time to live. A series of famine, disease, and war killed large portions of the population. 
herbs to treat various conditions. In fact, many women who were accused of practicing witchcraft were actually healers whose skill made them appear like they were using sorcery. Some of these medicinal concoctions were used recreationally, not medicinally. The ingredients of these witches' brews or healing tonics typically included nightshade, devil snare, black henbane, and mandrake. After blending the ingredients together, the ointment would bring on psychoactive symptoms that induced hallucinations. These herbs are high in alkaloids, which makes them very toxic. Even if ingested in small quantities, nausea and vomiting can occur. They needed a way to minimize the negative side effects without interrupting the hallucinations. These crafty medicine women found ways to absorb the ointment without ingesting it. They deduced that the most receptive areas of the body for efficient absorption were through the sweat glands of the armpits or the mucous membranes of the genitals. Thus, applying the ointment topically to these areas could produce the same hallucinogenic effects without making them ill, which is where the legend of the broomstick comes in. Brooms became the preferred delivery method of these ointments, and it was quicker and easier to absorb them through the genitals. They would disrobe, then apply the ointment to the handle of a broom. Once the ointment was applied, they would straddle the broom, ride it, and you get the idea. Getting high in this manner was described as feeling weightless, like being dislocated from the ground, free to move about in any direction. So essentially, after straddling a greased up hallucinogenic broomstick, the user subsequently experienced the feeling of flying. Over several centuries, the story morphed into what we commonly think of the witch's flight today. So, wow, is your mind blown after that? Surely. (laughs) (laughs) The things you find. (laughs) So on another note, on the last day of the summer holiday, Harry finally runs into Ron and Hermione. I bet he finally feels complete. There's so many wonderful things that have happened since he gained his freedom, but we know these things aren't as wonderful as when you can share them with your friends. How important is friendship with regard to adding value to special events and experiences? Extremely. I think that supportive people in our lives, like friends, allow our experiences to be magnified when they're happy and to be more tolerable when they're sad or painful. I think having that support group in our life makes everything so much more enjoyable. And our body actually responds differently to different kinds of experiences. When we are sharing a painful experience with a friend, our body secretes this hormone oxytocin to make this painful experience more soothing. And when we're sharing an exciting experience with a friend, our body secretes a number of different chemicals, including endorphins, to allow us to feel even more excited. Uh, Again, almost reinforcing us for sharing these experiences with other people. That's why it's so meaningful to share a beloved movie or your favorite book series or perhaps your favorite podcast with (laughs) your friends in a similar way as maybe sharing your favorite treat with a friend can do so that you can both share in this experience. I like sharing experiences with you. Oh, I love sharing them with you. (laughs) So Harry has Hedwig the owl. Ron has Scabbers the rat. Hermione feels a little left out and wants to get a pet too. At first she wants to get an owl, but she ends up getting a cat named Crookshanks that no one else really wanted. It just so happens to be a ginger cat too. Hint, hint. 
The interesting thing about this situation, though, is that she adopted a cat that no one else wanted. Although described as dreadful and looks like he ran face first into the wall, she thinks he's gorgeous and has sympathy for him. I'm warning you, Hermione. Keep that bloody beast of yours away from Scabbers or I'll turn it into a tea cozy. It's a cat, Ronald. What do you expect? It's in his nature. A cat? Is that what they told you? Looks more like a pig with hair, if you ask me. That's rich, coming from the owner of that smelly old shoe brush. It's right, Crookshanks. You just ignore the mean little boy. What does this add to Hermione's already amazing personality? Well, again, it shows just how compassionate and wonderful she is. She's somebody that wants to help as many people as she can. She wants to support animals. She wants to help people. She is extremely courageous in her compassion. She's fierce in her compassion. And yet again, we see a wonderful example of that here. She goes into a pet store, just as somebody would into an animal shelter, and she adopts the one pet that has been there forever that nobody else had wanted and makes this cat her own. Percy Weasley was appointed head boy at Hogwarts. He seems to act very pompous and arrogant with regard to his newfound power and privilege. Excuse me, I'm head boy. What is going on here with Percy and this type of response? A lot of humans, when we're assigned a specific role, we might start acting according to that specific title, sometimes experiencing drastic personality changes. For example, a few decades ago, there was an infamous study at the Stanford University. It was called the Stanford Prison Experiment, where Professor Philip Zimbardo recruited a group of undergraduate students to participate in the experiment. Half of the students were randomly assigned the role of a prisoner, and half of the students were randomly assigned the role of a prison guard. So these were supposed to be essentially role plays, and the experiment was supposed to last two weeks. So the students that were assigned to be prisoners were supposed to stay on school grounds in the fake prison for two weeks, and the prison guards would actually take shifts between coming in and wearing a guard uniform and trying to keep the prisoners quote-unquote in line and also going home to their regular lives, to their families and their classes. And what's really interesting is that within just a couple of days, the students that played the role of a prison guard became ruthless and harsh and started physically and mentally abusing the prisoners and the experiment became so toxic that it had to be shut down after 10 days because the prison guards were so abusive that the students that were the prisoners were suffering immensely, some of them even wanting to die. To this day, some of the people in that study played the role of a prisoner experience symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm from that study. And so even if that role is fake, as it was in the Stanford prison experiment, we as humans might sometimes adopt that role and start acting accordingly. And so for Percy, who is given this head boy badge, he is now acting as a head boy in terms of he is pompous, he's giving orders, he's somebody that's acting in charge even around his family members. Fred and George have the most fun with him (laughs) and his big head. 
the big head boy. <laughs> Harry overhears Mr. and Mrs. Weasley talking about Sirius Black. Apparently, they think Harry is in serious danger. <laughs> waka waka. <laughs> so, everyone, including the Minister for Magic, thinks Sirius Black is after Harry. The two argue about telling him Miss Weasley wants to protect Harry because the truth would scare him and she wants him to stay ignorant and happy, while Mr. Weasley thinks they should tell him because he deserves the truth and his knowledge would keep him on his guard and possibly protect him. What do you think is the right move here and why? I think too often parents try to protect children from the truth. For example, parents of children who are going through cancer might lie to them about their condition or might not tell them anything at all. From what we know, children are not only very observant and smart and more aware than adults give them credit for, but also have much more wild imagination in terms of being able to imagine horrors far worse than the truth. So if children are not told the truth, then they tend to imagine something even worse and be even more afraid than they otherwise would have been. So what we know is that it's better to actually tell children the truth in age-appropriate way. So Harry is 13 here. He's old enough to know the truth. If he were to be, let's say, six, it would be still important to tell him maybe in a way that a six-year-old might understand in terms of, hey, Sirius Black is a dangerous man and he'd been someone that hurt your parents and he is also somebody for you to stay away from. He's somebody that might at some point want to hurt you. Harry being 13 years of age, I think he should be told everything and have all his questions answered. Really, it's Mr. Weasley who is in the right here and often we think we're doing the right thing by protecting people who are younger, whether it's our younger siblings or kids or sometimes even uh, people who are older than us, like our friends or parents or significant others. But really, by telling people the truth, we're giving them an opportunity to know how to react. Harry, there are some within the ministry who would strongly discourage me from divulging what I'm about to reveal to you. But I think that you need to know the facts. You are in danger. Grave danger. Has this anything to do with Sirius Black, sir? What do you know about Sirius Black, Harry? Only that he's escaped from Azkaban. Do you know why? Thirteen years ago, when you stopped... Voldemort? Don't say his name. Sorry. When you stopped... You know who? Black lost everything, but to this day, he still remains a faithful servant. And in his mind, you are the only thing that stands in the way of you-know-who returning to power. And that is why he has escaped from Azkaban. To find you... and kill me. Harry, I want you to swear to me that whatever you might hear, you won't go looking for Black. Mr. Weasley, why would I go looking for someone who wants to kill me? And regardless of what Mr. and Mrs. Weasley want, Harry now knows the truth. And Harry doesn't seem to be scared, mostly because he's back on his way to Hogwarts where Albus Dumbledore is. And that's where we're going to leave off for the next time. So thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. 
And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at ShadowQuill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag HarryPotterTherapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay magical out there, everybody. Stay safe and take care.